morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here in the new year, starting a new series today, and I love it when I start a series like this, because this has been in the making for months, and uh, when I first presented this idea to the elders, I think it was October, November time frame, they were like, ooh, that'll be a good one. Um, in the new year, there's so many people that are struggling, because I think if we we're honest this morning, all of us at some point struggle with anxiety, worry, fear, depression. And all of those things that seem to affect us in our life. And so we just want to be really real in this series. We want to be really authentic in this series and, and just admit that we're all going to go through a time period like that in our life. And what I'm most excited about is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Because I believe in this little nugget of Scripture that the Apostle Paul writes to uh, believers in Philippi and through this letter of encouragement that we get to see how God wants to get us through it all. We're going to see how God can give us peace that people look at us and go, what? How can they have peace when they're going through that? And God's going to get all the glory for that, and he's going to draw us in. Now, I want to challenge you to memorize this passage. And if you're an overachiever, go ahead and memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 9 over the next four Sundays. We're going to be in different parts of this passage every week. I'm going to take just like a little section or a few words of it. We're going to be talking about that every week. And uh, I, I just think God, God wants us to have that in our hearts. It says in the Scripture, if you'll hide words, that we hide his word in our hearts so that we would not sin against him, that we would know him more, pursue him more, have a closer walk with him every day of our lives. And that's done through the knowledge of the word. And so uh, maybe you're one of those. That, I've never memorized scripture. I've never done anything like that. Hey, this is a great time to try it. It's, it's awesome. Hide his word in your heart. The only way to do that is to memorize it with your mind, to hide that in your heart. And so uh, that's where we're going to begin today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. You can always follow along in the app. I will be using the NIV uh, for Philippians 4, 4 through 7, just because that's how I memorized it years ago. And I tried to memorize it in the ESV, and um, I, I couldn't. I kept messing it up. And so uh, I want to hide it in my heart, too. And so that's what I'll be using uh, just for the series. But the other scriptures that we're going to be talking about every week will be, will be uh, mainly from the the ESV, but I want to give you a little background before we read it, Philippians 4 in this, this section of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, when this is written, is in jail. I think it's referenced chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 14 and 15, somewhere around in there. It talks about that he is in chains in a Roman prison, and he's in chains not because he's a robber, not because he stole anything, not because he did something wrong, except preach the gospel. He's literally in chains for being a Christian. He's in chains for doing the great commission that Jesus asked us to do. That, that is what he is, is locked up for. Not only that, but it, he is actually not just in like a prison cell. He's actually in chains. He has chains on his feet and chains on his wrist. And he's actually chained to a prison guard. So you talk about being totally restricted even in your prison cell. He is on lockdown. And he is in chains, again, not because he was a murderer, not because he, he held up somebody, not because he committed extortion or anything. He's literally in there because the government is mad at him because he keeps preaching the gospel and the government doesn't like what it's doing to people because it's changing them. It's making them question all the, all the thing, other, other religions and idols and everything they've been exposed to. And so it's in this context Okay, and this isn't a prison like today. Sometimes we think of prison, we're like, okay, so Paul got three square meals a day, and he had a TV in there with satellite feed, you know, and if you could watch whatever, and he had a library next door, he'd go in there, 10,000 titles he could read from. No, no, this is primitive. This is some leaky, moist, you know, humid dungeon somewhere chained to some guy 
you know, named George that smelled, and he was like the worst of the prison guards, and he's with you all the time. I mean, you know, he never gets to see daylight. He's down there. And so it's just, it's just bad circumstances, you know? Just, I mean, it's depressing even to think of the Apostle Paul in these circumstances. And he writes this letter to Philippi. And in the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 4, he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And for emphasis sake, he says it again. He says, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we understand where he's at and what he's going through, you're like, really? Rejoice in the Lord? Always? The part I want to focus in on this morning is really at the end of verse 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And we're going to focus in on the last four words of that verse right now. It says simply that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Let's be real for a few minutes this morning if we can. Let's take off our masks. To have anything we presented maybe in the lobby. You know, somebody comes to you, you know, how are you doing today? It's like, oh, I'm great. How about you? Oh, I'm great. Because you know, if I'm being honest, it's not great. Some of you, if you're answering honestly this morning when someone greeted you, uh, and they said, how are you doing? You just said, it's terrible. Life has fallen apart. In fact, walking in this morning to church with God's people, the church, this is kind of my last resort. I'm kind of desperate. I kind of, I don't know what's next. I don't know what my marriage is going to look like in a couple months. I don't know what to do with my teenager. This total rebellion. I don't know what I'm do in my financial situation. It's just shambles. And I actually don't know if I'm going to have a job when I go back to work tomorrow. I have this strained relationship in my family that makes me, I don't even want to go to the family reunion. Circumstances in life, darkness. And sometimes we're in chains and we're in our own prison and we're in our own dungeon through what's happening. And if we're honest, we could say, hey, that can cause some anxiety in my life. I have some fear, I have some worry, maybe even depression. In fact, did you know, statistically speaking, today, the latest I read online as I've been researching for this, about half of people have some kind of depression, uh, anxiety, to the point that it's actually considered a disorder. Almost half. Of people. So everybody look at somebody next to you and think, it could be me. It could be them. We're sitting right here. Now let's be real this morning. This isn't something that you announce, right? You don't get on Facebook. Hey, I want everybody to know 
and suffer from depression, and I'm now on Prozac, and I'm going to see a counselor. I mean, you don't see those proclamations online, right? It's been kind of one of those things that even in the church has kind of been taboo, taboo to talk about it. But the fact is, half of us in here suffer with it in some way. And whether it's seasonal, whether it's just for a period in our life, or whether it's been our whole life, it gets to the point sometimes that it needs to be medicated. And you do need to talk to somebody about it. You do need to see a counselor. But beyond all that, I think there's times in our life where we can all say, I'm a little anxious. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm in some circumstances, and I am stressed out. I am stressed to the max. There's no more that I can take on right now. I feel like I have, my plate is full. And, and, and it doesn't help that we're in this hurry, you know, that we're in this hurry culture, that everything's coming so fast with technology. It's, oh, technology is such a blessing. You use technology. Yes, it can be a blessing. But for most people, and a lot of people, it's a curse because it just, it just makes things go faster. It makes things go faster. Sometimes we are wanting to pause. We are wanting things to slow down because it seems like the more it comes at us, the more stressful it is. My wife, after uh, first service this morning, she came up. She said, I think you should tell them about decision making. Uh, and she read me a statistic that she found. The average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000. Can you think about that? Because you had to decide where you're going to sit when you come in here. You had to decide what to wear today. Some of you had like 49 outfits, you know, and, and you know, are you am I wearing makeup or am I not wearing, you know, I'm going to do my hair, take a shower, not to, what am I going to eat, am I taking my medicine, you know, you can do it, it's all this stuff, all this stuff, right, all these, all these details. 35,000, I mean, I, I say that word, it makes me tired just from hearing 35,000, and that's just average. But can we all just acknowledge this morning that Half of us in this room are really could be struggling right now. About half. And there's some people that, that come in this morning and say, you know what? The struggle is real. And I want you to hear me this morning and say this. Don't be alone in this. Okay? The way you feel, you feel that desperation. You feel that anxiety building up. You feel like you're at the end of your rope. Don't be alone in that today. It, it is real. What you're feeling is real. Other people feel it too. We just talk about it we don't we don't we don't we don't want to talk about it sometimes we just don't want to address it for some reason we've made it kind of a, a shameful thing some people think when they have to go talk to somebody about their problems that they're crazy you know, somehow somehow i'm admitting that i'm i'm crazy i'm just not right in the mind well when half of us half of us are that way i'm thinking that's normal <laughs> that's it's fairly normal but it is on the rise compared to where it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. I think it's because we have so much going on. We have almost this hurried sickness in us. And what the Apostle Paul says in this from our passage today is he would say, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And I'm like, really, Paul? Do not be anxious about anything, really? Really? I mean, there's shootings in the workplace, there's shootings at school, Shoot, there's shootings in churches today. Violence is on the rise. It, it, it seems like uh, people are just going in more and more debt. We're not learning our, our lesson to live on our means. We're not applying any of the relational principles from Scripture to the relationships in our life, whether it be our marriage, or whether it be our family, or whether it be friendships. And we have all this stuff going on. There's so many moving pieces in life. And do you feel the stress and the anxiety a little bit? It's just, there's just so much going on. 
And he says, be anxious for nothing. And, and, and I love what he says right after that. Do not be anxious about anything in verse 6, but in every situation. Every situation? Every situation. Every situation. Even in prison. Chained up. No hope of a future. Even in those situations. How can a person rejoice in the Lord? Not in their circumstances, but in the Lord always. I want to show you a statistic, a graphic this morning. I'll put it on the screen here for you. Now, this is just identifying the generations. It starts with the baby boomers uh, born between 1944 and 64. And if you were bef- born before that, they, they actually really haven't labeled you a generation. And so um, if you're born before that, you're, you're old, okay? Let's just be honest. I mean, I could call you a ba- you know, baby boomer, you know, whatever. We could, we could label you, but you're not, you're not labeled, so you'll just be older than that, okay? So, uh, but we have the baby boomers born between 1944 and 1964. That's the far right. And then we get into the Gen X born between 65 and 79. That'd be my generation, one of the first generations ever studied and ever labeled like that was Gen X. Uh, the millennials born between 1980 and 1994. Don't know how to use a razor. Um, that generation, the millennials... Yeah, and, and then we get to Gen Z, born between 1995 and 2015, going to be one of the biggest generations of folks ever born into the world, one of the largest generations. And here's what they're saying statistically, is that that group right there, Gen Z, is the most stressed out generation ever. And I'm like, stressed out, they're 15 years old. I mean, come on, some of, I mean, you know... Some of them are four-year-olds. I mean, the oldest you can be there is what, 20, 20, 25? Stressed out? Really? Come on. I mean, really stressed out? Yeah, because they've grown up in this digital uh, generation with information superhighway, right? And that was a positive, well, actually, it's information overload. And because of that, they have a hard time making decisions. Because a lot of them are getting to this stage of life, and I have a senior, so I can relate to this, is what am I going to do with my life? I don't know, because guess what? When, when I was a kid, I had like four choices. They have 4,900 choices now. I mean, you could be a microbiological phlebotomist, and it's like, what is that? I have no idea. I just made up that word. But, but someone probably has that job, right? I mean, they have all these choices to make, and, and, and you think about their future. The future just makes them so anxious about, wait a minute, where am I going to go to college? Well, forget about going to college. Where, how am I going to pay for college? You Because know? I want to go in student loan debt like, you know, Gen X and, and the millennials did. They got all this student loan. They're paying you know, student loan payments till they're 40, you know, and, and they've got this, you know. So how am I going to pay for it? And then, you know, what scholarships do I apply for? Which ones do I qualify for? I've got to get online, get to this website. And i got to fill out the FAFSA. The FAFSA is like, you know, 150 questions of no help to me or my family. And, and then I've got to, you know, after that, i got to decide where I'm going to go. And i got eight colleges that are all offering me the same thing. I don't know which would be the best one, which will, you know, fit into my life, my schedule, and how many hours away from home I want to be, you know, because it do is my car dependable enough to like get me that many hours away from, from home? And, and then, I, then if I'm going to have a job, I don't know if I like want a student loan, uh, you know, work study job on campus, or do I get a job off campus? And how many hours can I handle as a freshman to work a week? And then if I w- want to get married, if I'm going to get married, I got to find the right person to get married to. And, and what if I make a mistake there? And I end up like the statistics of all those people that are getting divorces now because I made a bad choice. And, and what, you know, it's just on and on. Do you feel? What they're going through, and then I didn't mention that they're shooting each other 6,000 texts a month. 6,000 texts to answer a month. Breathe, right? 
Don't know how to have a relationship. Can't have a hard time relating to other humans in the flesh or through a phone call because everything's through a screen. And the screen becomes a barrier, actually, to having a relationship with another human being. They're finding out. It causes anxiety, special social anxiety, because everything I do for school now, just type it, send it. I have to relate to people at all. Until I go to work someday and they want to interview me, I thought that would be on the line. I thought I'd be on the computer. They actually want me to talk. I've never talked to a human in my life. Except my parents, I told them they had no idea what they were doing. But beyond that, you know, but seriously, stressed out. Most stressed generation in history, they're also more medicated than any generation in history when it comes to anxiety, depression, and those type of disorders. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot going on in their life. And, and I know that we, even maybe they're a little older than that, can relate to that as well. And it really brings this question to the forefront. Can a person really be anxious for nothing? And the Apostle Paul answers it right there in, the, in, in Scripture in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything in every situation. But he doesn't stop there. He's going to give us this, this, this kind of this formula, kind of these steps, kind of these things that we need to do. And today we're just going to focus on the fact that we need to know in our mind and know in our heart and understand that the Lord is near no matter what you're going through. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to His children. The Lord loves us. And it's in every situation. It doesn't matter what your situation Well, you don't know because my, my spouse is going through medical stuff, cancer right now. You don't know because we just had a miscarriage you know, a few months ago. Well, you don't know because we had to declare bankruptcy you know, five years ago and we're still picking up the mess. You don't know because you know, I've got this blended family now and I've got these, you know, and, and I'm trying to just decide how to parent these because, you know, and I, you don't, and you, all of that in every circumstance. Know that the Lord is near. I want to share a story with you this morning about a guy named Elijah from 1 Kings. You may remember him. Last summer I preached a couple sermons where I, I talked about his story a little bit. And uh, Elijah is a prophet of God that was sent in the Old Testament. And he was sent to a very unique time and a very specific purpose from the Lord. He was sent to actually start speaking into the truth, the life of a guy named Ahab. Now, let me read you about Ahab. This is 1 Kings chapter 16. This is what it says about Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel, okay? Israel is the nation, God's chosen people. Ahab is the king of Israel. This is what it says about Ahab. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all of the ones that were before him. And he went and he served Baal, a little idol named Baal. And he worshipped him. You remember, anything that comes before God is an idol. Well, he served an idol named Baal. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built him a temple. He built Baal a temple in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah pole, which was like a fertility cult thing that they danced around. And it says, Ahab did more. Listen to this. Ahab, King Ahab, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He provoked the Lord's anger more than all the, the kings of Israel that were before him. And the story of Elijah goes like this. It, they have these prophets of Baal, and they end up having this showdown. 
And it's going to be Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. You like the odds on that? 450 versus 1? You do when God's on your team, right? You do when the Lord is near, right? And so the story goes that they built an, an altar of wood and that the prophets of Baal were to call down fire from heaven. And, and if Baal there, little g God, was the real God, that this, this, this fire would ignite and be assigned to all the people that theirs was the real God. And so they did that, and they danced around it for hours. They cut themselves to almost sacrifice their blood to Baal. They did all that, and nothing happens. Then Elijah comes on the scene, and he says, you know, building this altar to the Lord made of wood. And he says, not only that, but I'm going to be fancy here. I want you to make the wood wet. Like really wet, like pour buckets and buckets and gallons and gallons of water. In fact, put it in an entrenched pool. We're going to have wet wood get lit because of God's power from heaven. And he does it. And God does it. He sends this fire from heaven. It burns up all of the wood. It burns up the altar. It burns up the pit. It burns up all the water. I mean, water is on fire. I mean, God is powerful. He can, he can do that. Burn some water up in it. And, and, and it's awesome. And at the, at the end of that, what, what happens is this, and this is found in 1 Kings 18. It says, and then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape, all 450 of them. And it says, and they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there with the sword. So he runs 450 guys through. Now, at this point, you're thinking, prophet Elijah, dude, this is awesome. I mean, look at God's power. God's so close to you. I mean, you're so close to him. This is awesome. And then we get down to chapter 19, and this is what it says. King Ahab told Jezebel, Jezebel's his wife. She's the, she's the queen uh, uh, of Israel, and she uh, kind of, her and Ahab are kind of in the same boat, bad people. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying this, so may the gods, and she's talking about her gods, her little g-gods, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. The queen of Israel sends Elijah the prophet a death threat. He says, by this time tomorrow, you will be dead and you'll be just like all these prophets. I'm going to run a sword through you. And then the prophet Elijah has been sent by God, has been empowered, has seen this mighty things happen in his life, and all these miracles and stuff. It says this in verse 3. It says, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. And he came to a place called Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. What just happened? Think about it. It says he was afraid, full of fear, anxiety. What's going to happen? She just threatened my life. She's the queen. She could probably make do on this. She probably send like 40,000 people after me tonight. They're going to run me through the sword. And so he arose and he ran for his life, trying to get away from his problems, right? We, we do that in life. We, we try to run away from our problems. And sometimes we distract ourselves from our problems. And we fill our life with all kinds of things except the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what we really need to get through it. But he says that he was afraid. He ran for his life. And then he left his servant there. It's interesting that it says at Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there. He isolated himself. His servant would have been his right-hand man, his best buddy, the guy he could trust, the guy he could stand back-to-back -back with in battle. He leaves him, and then in verse 4 it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he asked, that, listen to this, this series, and he asked that he might die, saying this to God, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. 
He's suicidal. Fear and anxiety and depression have been upon this man of God. And it has brought him to his knees to the point. He's like, I want to be run through the sword. I want to be pursued like this. I am stressed out. I don't know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen to me? Lord, just take my life. I've had enough. <laughs> you ever been to that point? I've had enough. I don't want to go on anymore. I've had enough. It's over as far as I'm concerned. Lord, take my life. Prophet of God. You see what he does? He's afraid. He runs away from his problems. He cries out to the Lord. And we would say what? We would say, Elijah kind of lost it. We don't like to say that about people, right? That's offensive. Don't you say I lost it? He lost it, folks. The prophet Elijah that just took down 450 prophets of Baal. They called down fire from heaven. They lit an altar on fire. They defeated 450 on one. With God on his side. With God by his side. With the Lord being near to him in his time of need. Now he's going through this stress and anxiety because he thinks the Lord isn't near. Oh Lord, you were with me yesterday, but are you really going to get me through this new thing today? We struggle with that too, don't we? Then you go on down in chapter 19, and in verse 7 it says this, the journey is too great for me. It's too great. I can't do it. I can't go on anymore. You go down to the end of verse 10. He says, they seek my life to take it away. He is filled with fear. He is filled with anxiety. And let me tell you the truth this morning. Elijah does what so many of us do, right? We face our struggles while forgetting our God. We face our struggles while forgetting our God. And for some of us, the truth of it is, is just because of all the noise in our life, we feel like we can't hear from the Lord because Satan is shouting. He's shouting to us in our sin. He's shouting through the temptation that's in your life right now. Satan is shouting all the lies. He said, the Bible says he's a liar. It says he's the father of lies. Don't believe a word that he says, and yet he shouts it. So that's all that you can hear. All you can hear is his plan for your life. All you can hear is how bad things are, and things aren't going to turn around. God's not there for you. And you go through all of this. And we forget. We forget our God. We forget who He is. Let me, let me share with you who God is. These are seven names from the Old Testament, Hebrew, that tell us who God is. Listen, listen to these. Jehovah Jireh. God is Jehovah Jireh, which means He is God, my provider. He's going to provide what I need. God is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, He is my healer. That's what that means. My God is my healer. Jeho Je Jehovah Nissi which says that God is my banner. It gives us this idea of victory. If the banners went before the army, is God is my banner. He's the one that's going to give me the victory. There's Jehovah Makadesh. Jehovah Makadesh says that he is my sanctifier. He's the one that makes me righteous. It's through his power that I, that I can quit sinning and walk in newness of life. Then he's called Jehovah Sidkenu, which means my righteousness. He is my righteousness. Then listen to this one, folks. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is my God and my peace. Jehovah Shalom. Listen to this one. He is Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. He is my shepherd. You remember the Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. My shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then listen to this other one, the last one. Jehovah Shema, 
my abiding presence. My abiding presence. Reminded me of John chapter 15. John chapter 15 uh, talks about the vine and the branches. And that's when, when, when Jesus is, is telling the disciples, abide in me, stay with me, stay close to me. Abide in me and I will abide in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you abide, you stay, and you rest in me. And I will stay with you. Why is he Jehovah Shammats? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And God wanted to show Elijah, hey, I'm bigger than your problems. There is nothing in this world that can separate you from my love. There's nothing in this world that is too big that you and I can't handle. Well, what if, what if I lose a family member to death? There's nothing. There's nothing that you and I can't get through. Well, but what, what if I go to financial ruin and I have nothing? There's nothing that you and I can get. What if I go through sickness? What if I go through some kind of cancer? What if, what if, what if, what if you feel the anxiety building with all the what ifs in life? And he says, I am near. And because I'm big and because I'm God and because I'm on the throne, because I control all things, because I'm the God over all things in life, because of that, because I'm near, you can rest in me. And God's showing Elijah, I'm bigger than all those problems. Now, I want to share with you the rest of the story of Elijah. What did Elijah fear when he started running? When he started running, what was he fearing? Death, right? She said, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And he takes off running, fearing for his life. To the point of such anxiety, worry, depression, anguish, whatever you want to call it, that he actually gets to this point where he's praying for the Lord to even take his life. Because I don't want to be run through the sword. I don't want to be running away from my, my issues and my problems and what's coming against me all my life. I don't want, want to be dealing with that for the rest of my life. I don't want to, I don't want to be doing that, Lord. Well, the story goes that uh, the Lord gets him, he gets him through this time. And, and the Lord shows up big in a cave. And in chapter 19, as uh, he had gone to, into the wilderness, he had gone to Mount Horeb, the mountain of the Lord, he was hanging out in a cave. And the Lord came to Elijah and said this to him. Uh, he said this, he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after that, after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. It was the earth, it was the wind, the fire. Earth, wind, fire. Earth, wind, fire. All right, somebody snickered. You know the band, right? That means you're like that generation up there that was old. Earth, wind, fire. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. And then it says this. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. The sound of a low whisper. sound of a low whisper. I've asked Amy to come up and join me on stage just to illustrate something for you this morning. So Amy, if you go ahead and come on up at this time. Amy loves this because Amy loves to be in front of people, okay? No, she doesn't. She, you want to see anxiety and fear right now? 
So pray for my marriage. We're going to work on it this afternoon, right? She's being a good sport with me this morning. But I wanted to illustrate this because I thought, if nothing else, you might remember this from the message today. Okay? Because what we see throughout the Bible is that Satan is a liar, right? And he loves to scream lies at us. And so Satan doesn't really like to be close to us because he hates us. And he hates God's creation. He hates that we might worship God. So, but from a distance, God, the, the, Satan screams at us. Now, Amy, make your anxious face. Well, she already has it on. because she, yeah. So, <laughs> but, but what does Satan do? From a distance, he, he yells at us. He screams to us that you're not going to get through this, and I don't know how this is going to work out. And you know what? God is not close I mean, you keep putting your faith in him, but bad things keep happening to you in your life, and you know, it's getting really bad, and uh, man, you just wait to see what happens tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be really bad. If you think you've experienced it so bad now, oh, just wait, and Satan yells at us. But what does it say in the scripture? It says that God is near, and when Elijah needed the Lord, it said that he came by the mountain, he said, come out of the cave, and it says that he was in a low whisper. Now, if you whisper to someone, where do you have to be to be heard? Close. That's why God whispers. He says, you know what? We got this. Because I'm large and in charge. And I know you're going through some stuff right now. But I'm telling you, I've got a plan. And my plan is to prosper you, not to harm you. It's a plan to give you hope and a future. You just stay with me. Abide in me. Because we got this. And we'll get through anything in life. Anything. There's nothing that's going to separate you from my love. No height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers. There's nothing in this world. There's nothing that Satan can yell loud enough to come between us. So just abide in me, and I'm going to abide in you. And you keep coming to me when you're weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Thank you. Appreciate it. Why does God whisper? It's because Paul knew what he was talking about. Even in the prison chain to people, what did he say? Rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. You know how near the Lord was to Elijah? What did Elijah fear? Death, right? Coming after him. If the story goes on and you read on in, in 1 Kings and even in 2 Kings, you hear that he hands the torch of his, of his being God's prophet to a guy named Elisha. So Elijah passes the torch to Elisha. And what Elisha gets to experience with Elijah, Elijah actually never dies. The thing he feared the most was death, and he actually doesn't die. Do you know how he went to heaven? A chariot of fire came down from heaven. Horse-drawn chariot of fire. The glory of God picks him up and takes him to heaven. And so the thing that he had anxiety about, the thing that he had fear about most in his life, God took care of it. Because the Lord loves us and because the Lord is near. And this is what somebody needs to hear this morning, is that God's presence is enough. God's presence is enough. Just the fact that He's near and He loves you is enough to get through whatever you're going through in your life. Listen to this verse. Psalm 34, verse 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you hear that? If you're brokenhearted and you're stressed out and you're anxious this morning, God may be even closer than he's ever been before because he's close when you're brokenhearted. He's close. Let's read that as we close this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the God of peace, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know this morning that the Lord is near for whatever you're going through. That there's nothing that's too big in your life, too big a sin that he can't forgive, too big a circumstance, maybe had nothing to do with your choice. It's just the sin-fallen world has kicked you into some circumstance that you don't deserve and you're suffering through right now. I'm here to tell you, there's nothing that you and he can't get through. He, you just need to know he's near. You are in his presence. And he is just always a prayer away. And that's how the Apostle Paul gets through life and death. It's because he has this heavenly perspective that I have nothing to fear. I be anxious for nothing because the Lord is with me every step of the way in life. And I believe somebody or somebody's needed to hear that this morning. And you need to know that no matter what's going on in your life, the Lord is near. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for the fact that you are close to us in our, our time of need. God, that you're the one that's even closer than a brother. God, that you, you're the one that's so close to us that sometimes we've got to cut the noise out of our life. We need to quit listening to the loudest voice because it's the voice of the deceiver. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He, he wants to take things from us. He whispers that, that maybe something else would be a better way in life. And it goes against your will for us in Christ Jesus. And through it all, we don't have to be anxious about anything. Because we know that you're near. God, I pray as we sing this song in these next few moments, if, if we need to reach out to somebody with somebody over here to come to, to the decision room, if we need prayer, if we, if we need somebody to, to, uh, to just talk to about our relationship with you because we're, we're not feeling your presence, Lord, uh, maybe we need to give our life to you. We, we need to surrender our life to you and actually become a part of God's family and be a, become a part of, 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 of who you are, God, and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, whatever it is, I just pray, God, I just pray in these next few minutes, just continue to do your work in our minds and our hearts. Because God, we, we need to know that you're near and that there's no circumstance that will separate us from your love. And God, I know that some of us, we get, we, we're looking at our circumstances right now. It's tough. But God, you are near to us. I just pray, Lord, if you feel, if you are giving us that, that um, response that we need to make, some, some physical action we need to take of walking, praying, whatever it is this morning, God, that we would answer that call in our hearts. God, thank you for loving us and for being there for us. We pray in Jesus' name.